Well, good evening, good evening. Hey, I've got a couple of giveaways I want to do before we, we jump into the message. Uh, one is a family I met who's visiting back from out of town. This is for Gus. We give him a $10 gift card to Starbucks and his son. You guys can get a good coffee on the way out of town. So his, his son was in a uh, basketball tournament this weekend, and, and they live in another state. And so just while they were here, they said, we're going to go to a church service. So isn't that great? So we want to reward good behavior. That's awesome. It's awesome. So they can get a coffee as I'm sure they're heading back out in the morning for a long drive. So, and I don't know if Doug Collins is in here. I know Marley is here. Is Doug in here anywhere? Is Doug, he is? I see fingers. Oh, he's over here. This is for Doug. This is from Cracker Barrel because he helped replace a lot of lights in the parking lot, I was told. Come on. Nice. So breakfast on us. I think they brought a bucket truck or something from their job site and helped do a lot of parking lot light replace. So we appreciate that. So we don't have to get to our car in the dark. Come on. Amen. That's good. Hey, I got a couple of, uh, hey, let me, let me do this. Just, I want to keep every week just a little bit, just giving you a, a snapshot of where we're headed over the next couple of weeks. We've had lots of visitors visiting every week. And so I think it's helpful sometimes for them to see where we're headed. And so Sharon Thomas, again, is going to be sharing next weekend. So that's going to be so good. And um, obviously, and then after that, we've got our Easter service. I'm excited. I really felt like God just downloaded. Uh, I was uh, Instagramming about that on Friday. Uh, we're going to be talking about the, the, the messages on the many mountains that we find in the Bible. Then Pastor Jamie and I are going to be doing a series after that about overeating, overworking, all the excesses that we find ourselves in. And we've got Mother's Day with Vanessa. And, and then we're going to hit a few weeks on fasting. And that's going to take us right up to the summer. And then we usually pick a series for the summer. We don't know exactly where we're going to be headed for that. But I know God's going to show that to us and it's going to be good. So, hey, I got a couple of things I felt like God spoke to me for, uh, um, uh, you know, as we're reading through the Bible in the year. I'm just praying about that every week, that, that God's just going to show some things to me that we can bring. We've already had a, just a great prophetic moment. That was an awesome word that Pastor Jamie had uh, coming out of worship. So good. I know that spoke to a lot of people's hearts. And so I've got two more that I'm going to throw in there. Um, first one is, is, is comes out of Judges. And it's uh, Judges chapter 1. Let me get my bookmarks right here. Judges chapter 1. And uh, I'm going to read in verse, start reading in verse 19. It says, the, the, the Lord was with the people of Judah, and they took possession of the hill country, but they failed to drive out the people living in the plains who had iron chariots. And then it goes on and lists some other, other towns. And it says, the tribe of Benjamin, they failed to drive out the Jebusites who were living in Jerusalem. And, and, and as you keep reading in this, in this first chapter, beginning in verse 19, and it goes all the way down to, the, to chapter 2, it, it, it lists all the ways that different tribes failed to drive out different peoples that they were supposed to, to, to get out of the land so that they could fully possess the promised land. And, and as I was reading that this week, I really felt like God spoke to my heart that there were going to be people in here tonight and that that's been your story, that, that you're not working hard enough to drive out the things in your life that don't belong there. That it might be that you struggle with anger and you've just said, you know, this is just who I am. That's not who you're supposed to be. You've got to work to drive that stuff out of your life. You know, it might be sexual temptation. You might say, you know what, everybody struggles with this. Well, you're not supposed to as a devoted follower of Christ. It might be a vulnerability, but it's not something you're continued to supposed to fail in. And you, you've got to put forth some effort to drive those things out of your life. It might be materialism. It might be insecurity. It might be that you keep finding yourself in romantic relationships 
relationships that aren't healthy. There's things in our lives that God says, hey, I'm going to help you. I'm going to give you strength. I'm going I'm to go before you. I'm going to help. But you've got to engage your will to drive these things out of your life. And so, Father, for whoever that's for tonight, I pray that this week they will find a, a renewed sense of strength they will find a renewed sense of courage that to drive these things out of their life that don't belong there. That this, the promised land for them is this destiny, this life as a devoted follower of Christ that they're supposed to discover. And if it has become inhabited with things that are foreign and things that are not of you, that you would help them to see them and to drive those things out. And at the end of our days, God, that you would not speak over us like you spoke over Israel. That there would not be a long list of things that we failed to drive out of our lives in Jesus' name. Come on, and everybody said, amen. amen. All right, let's do one more. You want to do one more? I always say that, right? But then I joke, it's not like you really have an actual choice. So. Psalm 62, 11, this came out in the, uh, I think it was in the Established Footsteps newsletter, and, uh, and this text was in there, and then just something just leapt out at me from this. This is uh, Psalm 62, uh, beginning of verse 11, it says, the, the psalmist writes, God has spoken plainly, and I have heard it many times. God has spoken plainly, and I have heard it many times. I love that verse because I think the psalmist is reminding us that hearing from God should be our normative experience as devoted followers of Christ. That, that there are going to be people in here tonight that you would say, well, well, you know, having a sense of confidence to hear from God, that's for the, the spiritual giants. That's for the Billy Grahams of the world or the people that made history like Martin Luther King Jr. or the Mother Teresas of the world right there. That that's this idea of hearing God or, or, or hearing it often, that's just for those. No, it's for all of us. If you've made a vow of devotion to Christ and you've been born into God's family, you should wake up every day with a sense of expectation that God wants to speak to you, that he wants to direct you and guide you and lead you. Now, I've never heard his audible voice. I like to say I feel his voice. God wants you to live every day with a sense of confidence, to feel his voice, to know his presence. And so just going to pray into that, 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 that God's going to break the lie that you've bought into that that's not for me because it is for you. So, Father, I think about when Jesus walked upon this earth, and so many times he said that he that has an ear, let him hear. And so, Father, we just we pray that over every person here tonight who's, who's spoken that lie, who's bought into that lie, who's agreed with that lie, who stepped into this place of false thinking and, 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 and uh, uh, this idea of, of, uh, of, of the deception of the enemy that they can't hear from you. Father, that, that you've given them spiritual ears to hear your voice. That, that you've put something inside of them that Solomon writes in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, that you've put eternity in our hearts. That, that you have made us to know you. You have made us to hear you. You have made us to, to, to recognize your presence. Jesus, you said in, in John 10 that your sheep, they know your voice. And so I pray that this week for every one of those people, they're going to hear you, God, like they've never heard before. That day in and day out, that they're, they're going to recognize you, they're going to hear you, they're going to talk to you, they're going to have conversations with you, questions that they've been asking, answers are going to be given, prayers they've been praying, they're going to have a sense of response from you, that you're going to open up. If those spiritual listening ears inside of them are stopped up, that they're just going to be unclogged tonight in Jesus' name. Come on, and everybody said together, amen, amen. amen. 
Well, we have been uh, in a series. This is our, our final week in the Praxis series. I've so enjoyed working through this series together with you. It's been working on me. I hope it's been working on you. Uh, but this is a, a word that we're going to explain where we get it from in a minute. But this describes our discipleship model. When you make a, a decision to become a follower of Jesus, what happens next is an important question. And so this series has been working through that. We get this word praxis from this text. Matthew 16, 27 says, For the Son of Man will come with his angels in the glory of his Father and will judge all people according to their deeds. That word deeds in the Greek is the word praxis. It means that which characterizes our lives. All of us one day are going to stand before Jesus and have to give an account for our lives. All of us are going to have to have a conversation with Jesus, and he's going to talk to us about what characterized us. What did we do with the privilege of the life that we've been given? This is this idea of deeds. And the series that we've been talking about is if I give myself to the practice of imitating Christ, the day of my judgment will be one of hope and not despair. Now, we know that there's going to be mistakes that are going to be made. There's going to be areas that, that, that we don't fulfill that God wanted us to. And there's a grace for all of, of those things. But, but, but we should be able to move forward to that moment in time with a sense of confidence that we gave all of our life the best that we could to become more and more like Jesus. At the end of the day, the same thing should characterize all of us, a deep desire to become more like God's Son. So the 1, the 6, and the 12, and the 24, you can get these on our podcast. If you're visiting with us, we put our notes online. You can get the outlines to catch up. We're not going to be working through all of that tonight. But the 1 is the great invitation that's given to us in 1 Corinthians where Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ, this idea of becoming like Jesus. The 6 are the 6 foundational commands that Jesus gives to us. The 12 are the 12 pathways. Some people call them spiritual disciplines. We like to call them pathways because they take us somewhere. And the 24, the 24 virtues, that come from the five great growth lists of the Bible that speak to the character of Christ. And so what we like to say here at City Life is if I accept the one, then I must fulfill the six. And to fulfill the six, I must walk in the 12. And when I walk in the 12, I become the 24. That when you give yourself to these, these 12 pathways, not only do you fulfill the six great commands, but you create a spiritually fertile environment in your life that makes it possible for these virtues just to begin to grow inside of you. We, talk, we spent a, a week talking about the virtue blockers. There's seven areas that I talked about that even if you do these 12 pathways consistently to be wise to these things, it can be obstacles and impediments to the growth of virtues. We spent some time connecting texts like Psalm 9, 1 and 2 that connects pathways specifically to virtues. This talks about how worship brings about the virtue of joy in our life. And so we work through lots of texts like that throughout our series. And for the last few weeks, we've been kind of wrapping up in our home stretch talking about the pathway principles. So there are 12 pathways, but then there are 12 principles that govern those pathways. And we've done six of them already, and I'm going to try to get through six of them tonight. But the six that we worked through over the last couple of weeks were concurrence, concatenation, completeness, connection, comprehension, and conviction. And so we're going to try to get through the next six tonight. And if we don't get all the way through, we'll, I'll, I'll blog through it on, our, on my blog. So, all right, here, so here's the next one. The principle of covenant. The principle of covenant. So if you have your Bible, you can turn to Genesis 15. Or if you're on a device, you can swipe there. Genesis 15, verse 7. I'm not going to read all of this, but I'm going to, I'm going to read some pieces of it. It says, And the Lord told him, this is a, a talking to, to Abram. He's not, his name's not yet been changed to Abraham, but it's the same person. 
It says, And the Lord told him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land as your possession. But Abraham replied, O sovereign Lord, how can I be sure that I will actually possess it? And the Lord told him, bring me a three-year-old heifer and a three-year-old female goat and a three-year-old ram and a turtle dove and a young pigeon. So Abram presented all of these to him. This is not good for all you animal lovers. And killed them. And it was gruesome. That's not in the text, but, this, but just to prepare you. It was gruesome the way he killed them. He cut each animal down the middle and laid the halves side by side. Every time I read this, I always think about the little sidebar. When, when I grew up in the Episcopal church, and in the Episcopal church, you cannot move, right? At least back then. It's, maybe it's a little bit different. You cannot turn around like when somebody comes in. And so you didn't talk. And, and so when I would go in, my mom would give me the instructions every time, right? Don't, don't talk. I mean, so I'm in there, right? I'm just, I'm just trying to live. You know, to not die at church. That was kind of the, in my early years, I just want to survive. And if I got in trouble, the punishment is I couldn't watch Tarzan that came on, the old black and white Tarzans. I'm dating myself with Johnny Weissmuller. Anybody else watch those? Come on. I know. See, I see some older people with me raising their hands. So that was my punishment. I couldn't watch those. And my favorite all-time episode was once where the, there were these bad people went in into the jungles. They were trying to steal the treasures and the natives people caught them and they took these two trees and they bent them down like this so they crossed and they tied the people to the trees. I, you know, as a kid I thought, this is awesome, right? And then they cut the trees loose and the trees separate. I know, somebody just fainted, I think, right? <laughs> and they would have qualified now for two by two to be on Noah's Ark, right? And so, so every time I read this text, that's what I think of. This is a gruesome, bloody picture. He's cutting these animals in half. He lays them out so half of the animals are here and half are over here, and it creates an aisle. It creates an aisle. This is where aisles in churches come from. <laughs> just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. So Abraham presented all these to him and killed them. They, all right, cut them each hand. Right, and said some vultures swooped down to eat the carcass. So Abram, he's trying to chase all of these, these, these vultures away to, so that, that no, nothing will come in and, and, uh, and make these, the sacrifice unclean. So the sun's going down and Abram fell into a deep sleep and a terrifying darkness came down over him. Then the Lord said to Abram, you can be sure that your descendants, and then it goes on to prophesy. Now, I'm going to skip all of that. It prophesies everything that's going to happen to the Israelites. It says, after the sun went down and darkness fell, Abram saw a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch pass between the halves of the carcasses. So the Lord made a covenant with Abraham on that day. Now, what's all this about? This was an ancient practice. That when a greater king would conquer a lesser king and, and extend to that king, the lesser king and their kingdom, an invitation to now become a part of the empire, the greater king would make demands of the lesser king, right? Tributes that would have to be paid. Maybe they would have to labor in a certain way or bring certain goods from their land, certain raw materials, right? They, they would reach some contractual agreement that was known as a covenant. And what the lesser king would have to do, they would take these animals and they would cut them in half and they would create this aisle. The lesser king would have to walk through all of these dead animals towards the greater king as he was making his vow to keep his into the bargain. And the reason he did that, the reason the greater king required that, was that it was in an ancient times, it was a practice of the lesser king saying, if I don't keep my end of the bargain, you can do to me 
what I've done to these animals. It, it was a, a way of, 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 of sealing the deal. So what's powerful in this story is that, 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 that Abram, he understands what's happening here, but, but what's powerful in the story is that Abram is not the one that walks through, it's God who passes through. It's a powerful prophetic story that Jesus would one day die for the sins of the world. That God said, I know that you're not going to be able to keep your covenant as people. I know that you're not going to be able to live up to your end of the bargain to be in my family and to be in relationship to me. I know that you're going to fail. But let me tell you, what I'm going to do is I, I want you to come into this relationship with me, but my son one day is going to be the one that is torn apart on your behalf to die for the sins of the world. These pathways, it's a covenant relationship that God invites us into. And sometimes as Christians, myself included, we are whiny, complaining, lazy people. We look at this list and we go, oh, I got church on the weekend. It's hard, God. I got to read the Bible. It's hard. I think sometimes God says, are you kidding me? That's not hard. Dying for your sins, that would have been hard. Carrying the weight of the burden of your guilt, that's hard. I did the hard part. I paid the high price for you so that you could walk in the joy of these things. This isn't the sacrifice. This isn't the labor. This is the prize. To be able to open up God's word and to understand what it says, that's a prize. To be able to gather with God's people like we gather tonight and worship and know his presence, that's a prize. To be able to give like we gave tonight and an expression of generosity, it's a prize. That we're, we're walking in the benefit of the price that's already been paid for us. It's the principle of the covenant. The pathways are a prize. They are not a sacrifice. Principle of changelessness. The principle of changelessness. Right, what, was your, what was your favorite movie candy growing up? Anybody? Favorite movie candy growing up? So, What's that? Munch and crunch. That's like the caramel coated popcorn? Is that, is that munch and crunch? Don't know? Don't know? Junior mints? What's that? Nine Perels. Nine Perels. Wow, I'm getting an education on candy tonight. I got an, oh, snow caps. That's what those are, snow caps. Snow caps, I know what those are. Crunch and munch, I got to go find some of that. Warren. Milk duds, come on. I've, I've lost a few crowns over a milk dud. Goobers. I don't think she's calling me a goo. I think she's talking about a candy. Are those the chocolate-covered raisins? Uh, all right. How about good and plenties? Anybody else was a good and plenty? Anybody like those? Juji fruits, right? You can still get all that old-school candy. A lot of times at the pharmacy, they've got it the 99-cent bin. But candy changes. So I go to the movies now, or I cannot find the candies that I grew up eating. Right? All kinds of new candies that are, that, are, that, are, that are out there. When I can finally afford to buy whatever candy I want, they don't even sell the candy I want to have when I get to the movie theater, right? Things change, right? The way people dress, it changes. Music changes. Style changes. Cuisine changes. You, you track it with me? There's all kinds of things in life that change and should change. There's some things in life that are not ever going to change. They are constant, and that's these pathways. If we're not careful, we will let our cultural experience 
of an expectation of constant change cause us to look at these pathways and say, when is God going to switch this stuff up for me? And his answer is, I'm not switching any of that stuff up for you. Because this list of 12 things, those pathways, they're not on the screen anymore, but those list of those, that, that's what Christians have been doing from the, from the birth of the church. And if Jesus doesn't come back for another 10,000 years, guess what? That list is staying the same. It's staying the same. They might be having a church service on some other planet out in the universe, but the Bible is still going to be central. Worship is still going to be primary. This idea of generosity and accountability and rest and service, all of these pathways, they are changeless, that they are going to be constants throughout all of our lives. Jeremiah 6.16 says, Thus says the Lord, stand by the ways and see and ask for the ancient paths. Come on. Where the good way is and walk in it and you will find rest for your souls. And this is commentary on the nature, the, 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 uh, the story of Israel may not ever be the commentary of our own lives, but they said we will not walk in it. We will not. Our great prayer for all of us is that these pathways, as they are laid out before us, that all of us are going to say, God, I can't wait to walk in all 12 of these paths all the days of my life. The principle of conspicuousness. See, the principle of comprehension, that we, talk, we talked about that one last week. Now, the principle of comprehension is about letting our hearts get out in front of our heads. Remember when we broke down the text in, in John chapter 3, Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus. And, 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 and for this one, this principle is a little bit different. It's close, but it's still different. So I separate it out. This principle acknowledges that the, your first impression when you look at these 12 pathways is, well, of course these are important for anyone who wants to be spiritually healthy. See, the principle of comprehension is that, that it's going to take time for us to understand how it all works, but, but there is a self-evidencing quality to all 12 of these things. When you look at this list, something inside of you says, of course these are important for a devoted follower of Christ. Of course prayer matters. Of course I've got to be willing to reach others with the story of the gospel of Christ. Of course I need to build relationships, and that's going to add meaning to my life. Of course I've got to take the gifts and the talents that God has given to me and begin to use them to build God's kingdom. Proverbs chapter 8. Proverbs chapter 8. I'm going to start reading in 1 through 9. The other one just for you note takers in Proverbs 1, 20 through 33. It's a similar text. But Proverbs 8, 1 through 9. Listen as wisdom calls out. Hear as understanding raises her voice. On the hilltop along the road, she takes her stand at the crossroads. By the gates at the entrance to the town on the road leading in, she cries aloud, I call to you, to all of you. I raise my voice to all people. You simple people, use good judgment. You foolish people, show some understanding. Listen to me, for I have important things to tell you. Everything I say is right, for I speak the truth and detest every kind of deception. My advice is wholesome. There is nothing devious or crooked in it. This is the Holy Spirit crying out to the world, to you and to me, and it's saying there's an obviousness to the ways of God. Doesn't mean it's easy. Doesn't mean we like it. Doesn't mean that it's convenient, right? 
But God says all of us, all of us, inside of us, have the ability to recognize that God's way is better. All of us deep inside have the the ability to, to instinctively realize, hey, God's way is better. It might require sacrifice. It might require change. It it might make demands of me that I prefer would not be made of me. But deep, 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 deep down inside, I know that it's right. There is a self-evidencing quality to the things that God calls out to us. That's part of the, 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 the great story of Proverbs 8 and Proverbs 1. It's the voice of wisdom and saying, hey, you know this voice that's calling out to you is the right way. Stop ignoring it. I love how in this text, it seems like an insult, but it's not an insult, right? Where, he, where, where the voice of wisdom says, you simple people. He, he, the, the, the Holy Spirit's not calling us simpletons. It's not an insult. It's not demeaning. What he's saying is even the simplest person in the world, intellectually, by a human standard, can see that God's way is the better way. That none of us have an excuse. That all of us were designed by God to recognize the truth and the goodness of his way. The principle of confrontation. This is in 1 Peter 5.8. 1 Peter 5.8. To stay alert and watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion, lion looking for someone to devour. Ephesians 6.12 talks about we wrestle not against principalities. and We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers on high. Matthew 4.1 talks about how when, when Jesus, after he was baptized, that, that God was the one who actually led him. The Holy Spirit leads him out into the wilderness to be tested by the devil. My hope is that if you've been a part of this series and you've been tracking with us for any amount of time, that there's a resolve that's building inside of you that's saying, I'm going to get serious about these pathways. I'm going to start wor- these things. I'm going to get serious about them. I, I hear the voice of the Holy Spirit, like Proverbs 8, calling out to me, and, and, and I know that this is the better way for me to live, is to make these things central in, in, in my life. And when you take that step, I'm just saying, be prepared, resistance is going to come. The devil does not want you to get serious about these 12 pathways. The devil does not want you to walk in the power of these 12 pathways. The devil does not want these 24 virtues to come alive inside of you for your light to shine in this world and to be a bigger witness to this world than you already are. There's going to be resistance. That's not to frighten us. That's not to scare us because the Bible says, greater is he who's within me than he that's in the world. The book of James, it says that when we resist the devil, come on, he must flee. I submit myself to God. I resist the devil. He must flee from me. What we're saying is don't be what we're saying is just don't be naive, right? If if you say Monday morning, Monday morning, I am setting my alarm 30 minutes early to get up and read and pray, you're gonna have the worst sleep of your of your week. Right? Am I am I kidding? Your baby's gonna cry for an extra feeding. Your husband's gonna snore louder than he's ever snored before, right? I'm just saying, just be real. There's resistance. Real resistance will come. You have got to, if you don't expect the resistance, then you'll fall under it. 
But if you say, I know resistance is going to come, I don't care. I'll drink an extra 14 cups of coffee, whatever it takes, right? Amen. Whatever it takes. Whatever, if my husband's snoring that loud, I'm just going to cut the light on and get my 30 minutes out in the middle of the night and just go back to bed. Right? I mean, there's something inside of you that's got to say, when the resistance comes, I'm expecting resistance, but I'm not giving up because I can overcome, because I can overcome. Your whole life won't be that way, but, but I'm telling you, if, if you take some steps towards progress, th- there will be some current. You'll, you'll feel like you're going against the current, and, and what happens to people is they say, well, if it's this hard, it must not be of God. That's, that's a lie from the enemy, right? Sometimes that's how you know you're right where you need to be, going upstream. The principle of centrality. Just reference this one, talking about that last one. Love Matthew 6, Seek the kingdom of God. This is the New Living Translation. Above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. Seek the kingdom of God. One translation rendered it, seek first. I like that. Seek first the kingdom of God above all else, and live righteously, and he will give you everything, not necessarily everything you want, but everything, everything that you need. These pathways are supposed to be central in your life, not peripheral. They're not just some things that you say, well, if I have the time, I'm just going to add them in. No, everything else needs to be put on the side, put these 12 pathways in the middle, and then start building things back in as you're able. Your spiritual vitality is more important than anything else. You will never be the husband you're supposed to be without these pathways being the center of your life. You will never be the parent that you're supposed to be without the pathways, these pathways being the center of your life. You will never have the ministry that you're supposed to have, be the employee that you're supposed to be. These pathways, they are the lifeblood of, of your Christianity. It's, it, they've got to be center. This is part of what Jesus was saying in Matthew 6 is that you've got to put the first things first. And if you put those first, I'm telling you, you're going to have more than enough time to do everything else that matters. If you don't put these things first, you're never going to feel like you have enough time. It's like the crazy principle of tithing. How does that even work? If I give 10% of my gross annual income, how do I end up with more instead of less? I'm just telling you, do it for 90 days. You'll be shocked. There's a supernatural part to life. There's a supernatural side to this idea of living as a devoted follower of Christ. There's a, there's a backwardness to it sometimes in our human thinking. That's part of the principle of comprehension. You've got to let your heart sometimes get out in front of your head. Now, so what happens is sometimes people fall into this mindset and mentality of, well, if God wants me to do it, he's going to initiate with me to make it happen. Now, that's a fair question because the only reason you're a devoted follower of Christ is because God initiated something with you. In fact, the Bible tells us that unless God initiates with us the first time, there's no hope for us. John 6, 44. For no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, draws them to me, and at the last day I will raise them up. So Jesus says right here, right? There's another verse in the Bible that says, no one can call Jesus Lord but by the power of the Holy Spirit. For all of us, God was the first initiator. The problem is we want that to now become the pattern of the rest of our lives. We want God to always be the initiator forevermore. God says, no, 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 no. I I became an initiator so that you could join me in the practice of initiation. So that you can model after me. And that's where James 4.8 comes into play. Where James writes that, that if we draw near to God, he'll draw near to us. 
It's interesting the order of that text. It does not say that when God draws near to us that we should draw near to Him. No, no, it says we draw near to Him and then He draws near to us. There's a twofold mandate in Scripture. Sometimes God is the initiator, and then there's times that we're supposed to initiate. So if you're not practicing these 12 pathways because you're saying, I will start reading my Bible, right, when God tells me that I should read my Bible. Right? I'll go to church more often if God would just come to me on Saturday morning and say, I'd really like for you to go to church tonight. Are you tracking with me? Now, then we laugh at that, right, because we might not say that, but that's how we live. That's how we live. We live our lives. We say, God, God's got to, he, he's got to talk. He, if he wants me to do it, he's going to talk me into it. He looks at you and he looks at me and he says, if you're in my family, and you are, if you made a vow of devotion to Christ, learn to be an initiator. Learn to take some steps towards me. Learn to, to recognize the things that I've already talked to you about and, and, and not wait for me to talk to you about it again. We don't parent our children that way, right? What, what do we say? How many times do I have to tell you to fill in the blank, right? I know, buddy, you've never had to say that to your kids. I think sometimes that's what God says to us. How many, how many times do you need to hear me say it? These things have got to be central, the center of our lives. All right, let's keep going. Thank you, Jenna. This is my favorite. Out of all 12 of the principles, this is the best one. Revelation 21, 5 says, And the one sitting on the throne said, Look, I am making everything new. And then he said to me, Write this down, for what I tell you is trustworthy and true, it's the principle of Christ, that Christ has the power to make all things new. It's supernatural. It's unexplainable. It's incomprehensible. I, you've heard me joke about before, when we start reading in the book of Revelation, and, and it talks about all these songs that, that people are, are singing, and they sing them over and over and over and over and over again, and then you realize they've been singing that song for 10,000 years. Some of us say, oh, good God, I hope that's not my job in heaven, right? But that's because we are ascribing a human experience into an eternal place. Jesus has the power to make all things new. How many of you are, are leftover people? I love to eat leftovers. Anybody else? All right. Now, how many of you people are like my wife and says, life's too short to eat the same thing twice, two days in a row? All right. So see? So I'm the goat of our house, right? So she, she makes more than is necessary, and, and I just I graze for the next couple of days. I'll eat it for dinner. I'll eat it for lunch. I'll eat it for the dinner the next night, and Vanessa just shakes her head at me in disgust. What is wrong with you, man, right? And so, so we understand that, that, that what we call it's the, you've heard me talk about it many times before, the law of diminishing marginal returns as a, as a part of our human experience. It just, it gets, it's like Christmas. The kids get the toy, right? And they're all excited. They can't stop playing with it. And three months later, you, they don't even know they have it, right? There's, it loses, it loses its luster. It loses its allure. It loses its draw. These 12 pathways do, do not ascribe your human experience to something that's supernatural. These 12 pathways, if you're doing all 12 of them regularly, they just stay fresh all the time. 
They just stay fresh all the time. I made a vow of devotion to Christ when I was 23. I just turned 48. There are few weekends where I've not been in church that whole stretch. I can't wait to come every weekend. People say, well, that's your job. It wasn't for 10 years, and I went just as much then as I do today. I'm just, I'm just telling you, right? This is part of this too. Can we just, let's just talk about this for a little bit too. Sometimes when we serve in the church because we're volunteers, we automatically think that means it's optional whether or not I come. Right? This must be my new thing. I've done this a lot tonight, right? I don't know what's going on with me tonight. So. Where's, where's Peggy? Peggy's in here somewhere. Scott and Nori's mom, is she in here? She saw me before the service. She said, I just want you to know that I've been Pentecostal my whole life. I said, well, you're going to have a great time. So it might be that she's just rubbed off on me a little bit tonight. <laughs> she said, I'm going to try not to embarrass my son and his wife, but I've been Pentecostal. All right, this is, my, this is my Peggy right here. You saw it tonight. All right. When we volunteer, right, we should be doing it as if we were paid. Because the Bible says, do everything as under the Lord. Do everything as under the Lord. We, 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 we're, we're changing the same. We used to say, if you call this your church home, at least once a month, you should do something to help pull off our weekend services. It's just 12 times a year. Come on. So now what I'm saying is, don't call this your church home if you're not willing to help out at least once a month to pull off our weekend services. God has designed you to serve in some, some, it's 12 times a year. Come on, people. If you're showing up week in and week out and week in and week out and you're not ever contributing in any way, there's lots of words that describe what that is, and I'll let you figure that out. (laughs) And you might say, well, I've just done it for so long. Then you don't believe in the principle of Christ that he makes all things new. You might say, well, I'm tired of that. You shouldn't be tired of it. Because if you're doing it with the right heart for the right reasons, it should be that we're having to say to you, you've got to pull back, you're doing too much. Behold, I make all things new, Jesus says. It just, it stays fresh. You keep giving, it's like you're giving for the first time. Stepping deeper into relationships, it's like you're tasting of it for the first time. Coming to weekend services, it's like it's you're visiting for the first time. He makes all things new. 2 Kings 5, 19 through 14. So Nahum went with his horses and chariots and waited at the door of Elisha's house. So this is a, a nobleman from a faraway country. He has leprosy. He's heard that there is a man of God that can pray over him and that he can be healed. He, uh, Nahum is wealthy. He's influential. He finds Elisha. And Elisha sends out a messenger, which already, right, this is an insult, that Elisha himself would not come out. Nahum didn't send a messenger. In on, Nahum said, I'm coming. I'm a noble man, and I'm coming. So he's expecting Elisha to meet him. But Elisha sends a messenger out to meet him with this, but go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan River and then your skin will be restored and you will be healed of your leprosy. You would think that Nahum has already turned and started running. You would think he's already there. He can't get to the river quick enough. But Nahum became angry. He stalked away. I, th- I thought he would certainly come out to meet me, he said. I, expect him to, I expected him to wave his hand over the leprosy and call them the name of the Lord his God and heal me. Aren't the rivers in Damascus, and the names a few that I can't pronounce, better than any of the rivers of Israel? 
Why shouldn't I just wash in them and be healed? So Nahum turned and went away in a rage. Unbelievable, isn't it? But too many times it's you and me. His officers tried to reason with him and said, Sir, if the prophet had told you to do something very difficult, wouldn't you have done it? So you should certainly obey him when he says simply, go wash and be cured. So Nahum went down to the Jordan River and dipped himself seven times as the man of God had instructed, and his skin became as healthy as the skin of a young child, and he was healed. It's powerful, isn't it? He didn't just heal him of his, 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 his leprosy, which is a circulatory disease. It's, it's a brutal disease. He didn't just heal him, restore him to the skin he should have had at his age. God restored his skin to what it was when he was a child. Then Nahum and his entire party went back to find the man of God, and they stood before him. And Nahum said, Now I know that there is no God in all the world except in Israel, so please accept a gift from your servant. But Elisha replied, As surely as the Lord lives, whom I serve, I will not accept any gifts. And though Nahum urged him to take it, Elisha refused. It's, it's just, and the story keeps going. It's a powerful story. Nahum gets this amazing healing. Elisha's demonstrating for him the, the, the character of a, of, of a man of God. He understands that this gift from Nahum, would have, would, 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 that, would, that would be Nahum's way of saying, I want to have some influence here, right? He's trying to, Elisha, I don't want any part of that. I'm just doing what God tells me to do. And I love the fact that even though Nahum's attitude wasn't right, he still experienced this great miracle. What a great story of the grace of God. You might be here tonight and say, Fred, I'm willing to do all of these things that you're telling me to do, but I'm not going to like it. And I would say, you know what? That's a great start. <laughs> do it anyways. Even if you wake up tomorrow and say, I don't like it, but I'm going to read the Bible because I know that I'm supposed to, get in the water. Be a Nahum. You might say, you know what, my, my summer, you know, I wasn't planning, I was, my goal was just be here once a month throughout the summer months, but you know, I'm going to change that. I'm going to change that. I'm only going to miss once a month. I don't like it, but I'm going to be here. I'd say, hey, that's okay. Be Nahum. Get in the water. Sometimes, even if your motivation isn't right, you might say, you know what, I, I've been coming to this church for a long time. I have never invested financially. I'm gonna, we're going to redo our budget so we can get behind what God's doing here. I, I don't like it, but I'm going to do it. I would say that's a great start. Now, you can't live that way for the rest of your life. You can't live that way for the rest of your life. But God says to you, if that's how you get moving in the right direction, his grace is enough to meet you there. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up. Come on, was that worship set not just amazing? So good. So good. Chip sent me this some time ago, and, and uh, I've been looking for the right moment to share it, and I, I knew that tonight was going to be the night as part of our wrap-up for this, this series that we've, that we've been in. It says, when my family and I moved to Japan... When my family and I moved to Japan, one of the biggest cultural changes was the language barrier. Using public transportation was especially nerve-wracking from buying tickets to finding the correct train platform. We were never really sure if we were on the right track. The time waiting for the train to arrive was always filled with uncertainty. As much as our experience was a picture of calamity, the Japanese were a picture of serenity. Well, we walked 
while we walked up and down the platform trying to discern the signs and the timetables and looking down the track for the train, the Japanese just, they sat or they stood calmly, seemingly oblivious to the situation at hand. Then as if moved by some unseen force, the Japanese would quietly and in an orderly fashion begin to line up at, a, at certain positions on the platform. And just moments after this concerted move, we could hear the sound of the coming train pulling into the station. And the train would stop and the doors would open at the exact spot where the Japanese had lined up and they would file in and take their seats. In this scenario, my family was a picture of Israel to whom the Lord spoke, Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden? My way is hidden from the Lord and my just claim is passed over by my God. It's Isaiah 40, 27. It says, Chip writes, we were uncertain of the timing, place, and positioning required to get on board the train. Whereas the Japanese, who were well acquainted with the train schedules, displayed the quiet confidence in waiting. They were not moved by what they did not see. They were certain that the train would be on time and stop it in the exact place needed in order for them to get on board. The confident attitude the Japanese displayed toward their train schedules is the attitude the Lord desires of us all. He has a timetable that is appointed and certain. He's never late. His desire for us is to be that confident with him. His part is that he is faithful to his timetable. Our part, like the Japanese on the train platform, is to trust in him and to position ourselves to get on board. Isaiah 40, 31a says, but those who wait upon the Lord, he shall renew their strength. Stand with me. Father, as we step into this moment of worship, I pray that every one of us in here tonight, we would see these 12 pathways for what they are. They are the means by which we position ourselves to get on the train of your will. It's the means by which we position ourselves to get on board with what you're doing in this world. It's the means by which we, we, we get in the right place, in the right time, in the, in the right way, and yes, eventually with the right heart and the right attitude to get on board to what you're already doing in this world. Oh God, that we would leave here tonight not seeing these 12 pathways as work and as labor, but we would see them as the prize that we would see them, that it is a privilege, that it's an honor, that you would invite us, that you were the one who passed through and down the aisle of the sacrifice and bore our sin upon yourself. And you invite us into this walk with you, this life with you that is so deep, that is, that is, that is so filled with wonder and awe. God, may it be that you would find us faithful. In Jesus' name, come on, let's worship together. Father, Lord is good, and His love endures. Yes, the Lord is good forever, and I shall from the mountain tops. Yes, the Lord is good.
face the Lord. No matter what you face throughout the rest of this week, just just say, For the Lord is good and his love. Just carry that message all throughout this week. When you face that resistance, just say, and I'll shout it.